The Lord is my salvation. Lord, thank you for songs like this. Thank you for your word upon which we base songs like this. Your word which speaks truth into our lives. And Lord, as we look at your word today, speak to our hearts, carve into our souls, and remove that sin which is still there. Take it from us, Lord. You are almighty God. You are the God who saves. You are the God who forgives and who loves His own. Open our ears now to hear what you, our almighty God, has to say through your living word, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, that would catch you. We're going to look at this passage, Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13, and then we'll go to Hebrews chapter 2. So Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, here's an understatement, he was hungry. I don't know about you, just missing one lunch. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, note the if, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, Note who's speaking, <laughs> the devil to the Lord. To you I will give. To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. Do you hear the pride? If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And He took Him to Jerusalem, that's the devil took Jesus, and set Him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to Him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you and... On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Even the devil doesn't give up. Note that when he had ended every temptation, there were many, many, many more temptations he put Jesus through, but they're not recorded for us. Many. So how was your day this week compared to what Jesus went through? Now let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16 to 18. This is a series we're studying through the book of Hebrews. Two-part sermon. Last week we started on chapter 2. We saw all those things Jesus did for us as man, as God incarnate, the one who had become man. And this morning we look at what is the result of that. Verses 17 to 18. So in light of everything we've read in chapter 2, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the, for the sins of the people. For because, of him, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Angels watched as Mary changed God's nappy. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him. And had the synagogue le leader in Nazareth known who was listening to his sermons, Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps the girl down the street had a crush on him. It could be that his knees were bony, especially as a teenager. But one thing's for sure. He was, while completely divine, completely human. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. In other words, he was just like us. For 33 years, he would feel everything that you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He got colds. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired, and yes, he even got headaches. He was human. You see, to think of Jesus in such a light as well, in some ways, it, it feels almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It makes us uncomfortable. Why is that? Because it's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation and to leave it there. As Max Licata once said, clean the manure from around the manger. Wipe the sweat out of his eyes. Pretend Jesus never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. 
You see, do you struggle to imagine and accept Jesus as fully human while fully God? There was a, a guy called Apollinaris the Younger, Bishop of Laodicea back in the years 310 to 390. It's a long while ago. And he argued that Jesus had a normal human body, but a divine mind instead of a regular human soul. But that's not the Jesus described in the Bible, is it? If we're careless in our thinking of Jesus, we can slip into a form of neo-Apollinarianism, the opposite of, where we think, where we embrace Jesus' divinity, but we hold at full arm's length his humanity. He wasn't like me. This also isn't the Jesus of the Bible. So why is his being fully human important? We looked at that last week. It was important to know that Jesus was fully God, but also fully human. In every way, just like us, is our text. So that we start to understand the extent to which God went to win our redemption. You see, for redemption to reach into every darkened corner of human existence, Jesus had to take on that existence in its entirety. There was not one place where his effect couldn't or wouldn't be felt. He was not merely God encased in flesh. He was man from the inside out too. He was fully human. Almighty God made himself vulnerable like us. In mind and body like us. I think you got the point now. So, what is missed by both those who deny the divinity of Jesus and those who reject his full humanity is that we as human beings needed a bridge between deity and humanity. Because a great chasm exists between God who is holy and man who is sinful. And Jesus was the only one who had been on both sides of that great divide. Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity before he came to earth, he was separated from man because of his holiness and man's sinfulness. There was a chasm there that couldn't be bridged. And when he became man, he surrounded himself by sinners... And now his perspective was, across the great divide, to a holy God. You see, he was the one who was the perfect bridge, because he had been in both perspectives. And so, the one of all power took the position of the powerless one. By his own action. The Lord of life drank deeply of death on that cross. The way he brought us up to God 
was by becoming completely down and even below to our level because he became a servant. Since we couldn't save ourselves, he did not save himself from the worst of human experiences. He died on your behalf and mine. The, the limitless Lord of the universe took on limitations. Think of it. The limitless Lord of the universe took on limitations. Why? To free me from my limitations. What are our limitations? Where is it seen most clearly? We see that when man approaches death. That's where the great opening up is seen. I have seen people kicking and struggling because they are dying and they don't want to face death. They fear death. We saw that last week. Who's put that lie all over them? Satan. But in, way, in one way, is it a lie? No, there's something to be feared without the Lord in their lives. There's an eternity without Jesus Christ. An eternity of dying all the time. But mankind fears death. Woody Allen, I never quote him, usually. He's an American filmmaker, and he summed up this uneasiness with death in this way. He said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Isn't that true? So in theory, I'm not afraid to die. But that moment when it starts approaching me, and I'm sick and I know it's coming, I just don't want to be there. It shows our hearts. And it's a human thing. And that's why Jesus had to come. And that's why he is our perfect high priest. He's our perfect go-between between, between man and God. He is that bridge. Our text says, verse 17, he's our merciful high priest. That word merciful is compri comprised of two words. Mercy, compassion. So your Bible might say he's our compassionate high priest. Well, it's, it's right. Don't throw it away. He's our full of mercy and full of compassion high priest. Why mercy? Because every time we sin... God shows us undeserved grace. He shows us mercy. True? So as God, He shows us mercy. Every time we sin, He shows us compassion. Why? Because God was a man like me. He understands our weaknesses. He's been in my skin. He's our merciful and compassionate high priest. He's our intercessor as high priest. He comes between us and God. He's the man who is God. And not just that, he's our faithful high priest. Unlike the other fallible high priests that history recalls who let their people down, think of Eli, Old Testament. He let his sons run rampant. And they made misuse of the people. 
And they sinned against Almighty God in all kinds of sexually explicit and monetary ways. Eli was the high priest. He should have known better. He let the people down. Think of Samuel, Old Testament. He too let his sons run rampant. Same results. He let the people down. New Testament, high priest, think of Caiaphas. He was the one who said, Jesus has to die. He let his nation down. He let the whole world down. But it was God's plan. And he, then here comes Jesus. He's the one who will always be right with God. He's the one who will always be able to intercede for us. Because he's our faithful, our merciful, our compassionate high priest. That's not all. He's the one who makes propitiation for sin. Are you ready? Have you got your pens poised? Here's your big word for today. We've got one every Sunday. Propitiation. To what? To make peace by making a sin payment. He is our propitiator, the one who does this. He makes peace between man and God by paying for sin. How does he do this? He does it himself, using himself. He's our perfect high priest, verse 17. But that's not all. There's more today. Like with last week, lots of bonuses. The second one. He is the perfect aid, verse 18. The one who comes to our aid, the perfect runner. And I use that deliberately. You'll see why. How is he our perfect aid, the one who comes alongside us? Because firstly, and we've seen this now, he experienced life like one of us in every single way. But he stayed without sin. Unlike you and I, we experience life, right? But we sin. We can't be the perfect ones. He experienced life like us, same skin, but he never sinned. And here's one of the gospel's more profound pieces of comfort. You see, if you go to find help with someone, you go to, um, you go, you're in trouble in your life and things are kind of bowling in on you, and you go and see someone about it, it kind of helps to know that the person you're going to see has also been through a bit of life. They kind of know what you're experiencing. It doesn't help going to someone who's never, anything had ever happened to them in their lives. How can they help you? And so the, there's some comfort in that. And so if you tell me about the situation in your life where you feel as if your heart's been ripped out, teenagers, then it's better to take the advice of someone seriously who, when you know that they might have been in love too once and their heart might have been damaged irrevocably. Jesus experienced life like one of us, but he stayed without sin. He was one of us. Jesus got tired. Anyone get tired in the week? Friday comes and it's just, Dush. I've got to work to Sunday, and then it's, Dush. He, was, he got tired after a hard day's work. How do we know that? There he was lying fast asleep in the bottom of a boat in the middle of a storm, pitching up and down. 
He experienced extreme pain and suffering. Been on a cross lately? Been crucified? He experienced true sorrow. Lazarus has died. Jesus wept. We're in crocodile tears. He loved Lazarus. Lazarus was his friend. Jesus understood frustration. He worked with his disciples every single day. You guys still not get it? I've been with you for how many years? Come on, boys. Jesus knew the sadness when people you care for make the wrong choices. The rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10 verse 21. This young man comes to the Lord. Lord, what else must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then there's an interesting verse. You go read verse 21 there. It says, Jesus loved him. He looked at this man who was trying his very best in life to be a good Jew. And Jesus loved him. But what did the man do? He took the wrong decision. It says he walked away from there because he couldn't. It was too hard. And so Jesus knew the sadness when people make the wrong choices. He couldn't make the choice for the man. Those of you who've got loved ones who've walked away from the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. I've been there. Jesus knew anger at seeing injustice done. Think of the Pharisees misleading Israel. And what Jesus had to say to them, in no uncertain terms. Think of Jesus clearing the temple of the money sellers, the ones who were selling those pigeons and everything at an extreme profit. Jesus threw those tables over and cleared the courts. He experienced anger at seeing injustice. When we see injustice in our country, don't you feel righteous anger? But be careful because it turns into sin. You see, Jesus knows through personal experience what you and I are going through. He's one of us in every single way, yet without sin. There's a third thing here, verse 18. Jesus was tempted in every way like us and more, yet he didn't sin. C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, only the person who never yielded to temptation knows the full strength of temptation. What does he mean by that? See, if a hurricane roars ashore, and it comes in at full strength, 50 kilometers an hour, 60 kilometers an hour, you're standing there on the seashore, it blows you over. Someone standing next to you is a bit bigger than you, he's standing there, he can stand there till 85 kilometers an hour, blows him over. But what about the person who can stand there when the thing is ramped up to 210 kilometers an hour, and then the storm starts to abate? Does that person not know the full strength of the storm, more so than the one who fell over earlier? See what C.S. Lewis is saying? Jesus knows the full strength of what it means to be tempted. 
because he never yielded when temptation was at full strength. Satan walked away from the Lord. He tried everything he could. He couldn't do any more at that stage. Jesus knew what it was to be tempted more so than us. And so he goes ahead of us. He alone knows the fury of temptation. He is the ultimate realist. And because he knows how much we have been tempted, and he knows, knows how much we could have been tempted, he gives us the grace that is sufficient for us, for us in that situation. There's a third issue here in, in verse 18. It says, if you look at your verse, he was tempted specifically in his suffering. Don't miss that. How is he tempted in his suffering? Luke chapter 22 verse 42 says these words of Jesus. Are you listening? These are Jesus' own words to his father. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. This is where he didn't sin. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I don't want to die like this. The temptation was there for him not to die. He could have called his angels. He himself could have said, no, I'm not doing this anymore. He had the power, didn't he? He's almighty God, even though he's human. But he chose to die. He overcame that temptation perfectly. Not my will, but yours be done. And that's why, fourthly, from verse 18, he comes to our aid when we need it. And I love this word. This little word, he comes to our aid. Literal translation, he runs to the cry of. When you need it, when you cry out to the Lord, He comes to the aid of your cry. Can you see Him running? He runs to the cry of. I am the God who can save you. I'm Almighty God and I come to you. I run to save you. Do you see love and mercy in action? What a God we serve. Think of that illustration that Jesus told about the prodigal son. The guy goes off with all the inheritance the father was going to give him anyway. And he goes and spends it, wastes it, nothing left, comes back. Oh, I guess I'll just become a servant in my father's house and maybe he'll feed me. I love these words, Luke 15, 20. Now you need to see the father's heart. He was out there. Waiting to see his son day after day. He'd go out and keep a watch on that road. And then one day, it says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. Now, in the Jewish world, you didn't do that. It was undignified. But this father didn't care. He loved his son so much, he chucked off his sandals. Can you see the picture? And there he ran through the dust. Feet hurting, doesn't care. My son, I love you. Do you see the father's heart? When we need his aid, he runs to our aid. This is the Jesus we're talking about. 
And so my so what this morning is exactly that, chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, in light of everything you've read, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider him. Doesn't mean, yeah, weigh him up. No. It means think of all these things which he has done and who he is and consider Jesus. Think of him. Putting in the center of your thoughts, Lord, be my vision. I want to serve this Jesus. The one who has mercy. The one who has compassion. Why? Because you know where I'm at, Lord. You've been in my skin. But you're still God. And what does that result in? It results in these things. When you're tempted or tested, you are not alone. You can withstand. You can persevere through anything that might come your way. How do you know that? Because elsewhere in God's Word, He's made this promise to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says this. Are you listening? The temptations of your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted or tested, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. Christ comes to your aid. He was like you in every way. Jesus withstood. And so He will come to your aid to withstand and to persevere in any situation. And secondly, under so what? Consider this Jesus. Why? Because when you have fallen to temptation, hey, welcome to my world. When you do sin, because we're human, then he is your perfect high priest. When you have sinned, he can forgive. Because he's died for your sin. He will forgive. Because he said he will, and he is faithful. And so those two things come together. He says he will, he can, and you are forgiven. He takes your sin away. He separates it from you. As far as the east is from the west, you will never see it again, ever. You are clean before the Lord. He is your faithful and your perfect high priest. 1 Peter 5 verse 10 says this. Listen to this. It kind of sums up this passage today. In His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. Think of what we did last week. There are many sons I will bring to glory. Are you one of them? So am I. So, after you have suffered a little while, says First Peter, He will restore, He will support, and strengthen you, and He will place you on a firm foundation. Praise Almighty God. He is the God who runs to you and comes to your aid. He is the Almighty Son of Man. Jesus, like me. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, says the hymn writer. 
For I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Consider this.